If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Chris Bates, welcome to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. Owen, oh, so good to be here, mate. How's your uh, How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Just um, getting a lot of stuff done. I actually bought turkeys last night, like actual living turkeys. It's oh, wow. A, yeah. Um, I was going to get some chickens and then I thought, why don't I get some turkeys while I'm here? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I then, assume you're not going to eat them? Not yet. Not unless they keep making the noises. If you hear any squawks or really loud noises coming from outside, that yeah. could that could prompt a dinner plate discussion at a later time, but um, no, yeah, just not an investment idea at all. Not an investment, I, I don't think. But uh, I tell you what, they're big animals, and I'm yeah. surprised about that. How about you? What's what's news? I haven't with you? bought any turkeys. Um, uh, been sick still. Probably our cats probably want to run away actually because they're not getting much love. So uh, maybe they'll make friends with your turkeys. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, mate. Same, same. Well, I got really, really good news actually this morning. We um, got finalists in the Australian Broking Awards, both as a business, but also individually as a broker. So that's a national award. So there's only 10 businesses or individuals that got noticed. That. So that was a big win for Congrats. the team. Um, yeah, and lots happening. A, a, a new guy joined the team this week, Piyush. Uh, he's awesome. He's a young dad and um, he's smashed it in his first week. So yeah, always lots happening um, at mm. work and outside of um, life as well. Cool. How many do you have in your team now at Plusk? Oh, we're 17 now. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's eight locally, nine offshore, um, you know, in Nepal's and Philippines that do a lot of our, um, lots of stuff for our, our business. So yeah, it, we've grown dramatically. We we're probably circuit nine to 10, 12 months ago. Um, so we really wow. invested heavily in, you know, all parts of the process. So all areas have, have really grown as a team. Um and cool. so, yeah, in, in anticipation of, you know, I guess more and more confidence and sentiment to move back into the market. So we took 2022, year, 2022 as a year of really investing in everything to do with the business, the, the branding, the systems, mm-hmm. the processes, the team, the ongoing service, you know, our technology. There's so many things we did at a business level because it was an opportunity as, as the market is a bit slower in transactions to, to invest as a business. Mm-hmm, for sure, and hopefully that pays off. Like um, you've won many awards, both individually and as a team, um, at Blusk slash Wealthful before that. So, um, you know, I'm awaiting, and I know it's stiff competition because you're competing with all of Australia, mate. But uh, mm-hmm. just to be in the top ten is an incredible um, win and well deserved. So um, we'll we'll play along, I'm sure. So we're obviously on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast, Chris. And uh, one of those things that people have to do when they get into a property, not have to do, but a, most do, is they need to go through the finance mm. process. And you are a mortgage broker and an esteemed one at that. So it f- figures that the two of us would jump on here and talk about this. I want to start with the very basic question that we always get, which is when should you start thinking about the financing piece of property? 
Oh, I think it should be one of the first elements, right? Because you know, I can have all these great ideas that I want to buy this property and I'm mm. going to flip it and do this reno and you're sitting and watching the block for the 15th season and you've got all these amazing ideas. But then, you know, you, you go and look at suburbs, you go to open homes and then all of a sudden you go speak to a bank or a broker and you go, actually, I can't borrow money. Um, it's been <laughs> pointless, right? So I think finance has got to be... And, and to be honest, the game of property investing, um, Stuart Weems, an amazing financial planner in Melbourne, right? He's got a business called Pro Solution. He did a book on this and I'm going to steal it from him. So um, mm. credit to Stuart. But he's very right in saying that, you know, property investing, right, or building wealth even, you could go that far, is really a game of understanding how to use debt wisely, right? And because leverage is the tool that grows wealth the most, right? And so it's, mm. it's not a case of, knowing what the right property is or looking for the right property opportunity because there's always property opportunities. What the key thing that will allow whether to take those up or not is how you play the game of lending and how you understand it, not just now, but how it's changing, how it's potentially going to change in the future as your situation changes. And you've really got to be on top of that sort of um, side of your financial wealth because that's your real tool that you can use to either invest more but also to protect yourself with buffers mm. etc so um yeah it's uh people get excited by learning about the property market and what makes money and what can you know invest but really it's a game of understanding how to maximize your ability to borrow and protect yourself um because once you've got that then there's only limited opportunities you can really take action on property is a real lumpy thing you might only buy one two three properties like it's not like shares where you're analyzing thousands of stocks and you're going in and out and you're constantly trading. That's just not what happens in the property market. So it's really a game mm. of lending. Mm. Um, yeah, you're right. Like it's, 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 there are only a few decisions that really matter, right? And I think a lot of us get scared off this idea of debt, but there's obviously good debt and bad debt. And I, yeah. for one, think that a mortgage on a home is actually a very good debt to have. It's typically lower cost. Uh, and if used wisely, there's tax incentives as well. So for, for your primary residence, uh, even if it's an investment property too. So use it wisely. And you look a lot around a lot of the people in your communities, in your circles, there tend to be people that have had some exposure to property or business or both. Um, so, yeah, don't look away from that. But, okay, so you want to get in contact with a good broker or just think about the finance process early on. What are some of the reasons why, I'm just at the very beginning, why people yeah. would come away from talking with you or another broker and be disappointed? So you mentioned like people get like rudely awakened kind of thing. Mm. What are the reasons that most people kind of have that shock? Look, there was a time when, you know, 95% loans were pretty prolific, right? So people thought they only needed a 5% deposit. Um, they might not have realized they needed to pay stamp duty as well. And there's always state-based rules that are incentivizing first-home buyers into the market. Um, in particular, in recent years, those have been targeted in reducing stamp duty for first-home buyers, whereas before it was in encouraging first-home buyers to get grants, which meant that they bought house and land packages and new apartments. So they have actually got a bit better. They're not just forcing people down the worst properties. Um, so I think that the, the, I guess those rude awakening is probably the deposit hurdle, how much you need for a deposit. But that can be a bit of a catch-22. Sometimes people come in and they think they need more deposit than they need. They think they need 20%. Um, so, you know, the reality is it's very hard to get a 5% deposit home loan. I will caveat, though, that in the last two or three years, the government have um, basically released 5% deposit home loans. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. 10,000 people. Um, and now there's 35,000 from July, um, you know, in a couple of weeks or well, next week, right? So, um, yeah, that, that is definitely an option. And, and a lot of people, you know, whether you satisfy the income requirements um, and uh, whether you bought properties before and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's the first one. The second one probably is, you know, let's say someone has swapped jobs. Maybe the last mm. job they were getting a great bonus. Um, now they go to the new job and they've got an OTE package that's really promising, but it hasn't haven't been paid any commissions or bonuses mm. or overtime. And, you know, a bank can't rely on what you earned at your last job. So that's that's definitely an issue I've seen clients go, Oh, I shouldn't have quit. Um, you know, even the same in the same vein, you know, starting a business. You know, sometimes people, you know, assume that, you know, maybe six months in business or twelve months is fine. Yeah. Well, banks usually need at least a good couple of years under your belt. Um I would say um, they're probably the big ones, you know, and, and then potentially it's maybe understanding the impact of other debt, um, you know, whether it's um, HEX, you know, is becoming a real problem, you know, because HEX interest rates have gone up and, you know, a lot of people got a lot of HEX debt, right? Um, mm. You know, uh, credit cards, um, the limits on those, you know, car loans, et cetera. 
Um, they're like, oh, I didn't realize it would impact me so much. So they sometimes have to sell cars uh, and pay off hex debts and and do things that, um, you know, they didn't think. So they've, you know, did, they wanted that car, but now it doesn't make sense. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, they're probably the, the things. The spending side probably was very a key issue in 2019. So people looking at, you know, I was doing the Uber Eats every night. I was going out for dinner every other night. Um you know, going away with friends and, you know, spending a lot of money because, you you know, you're uh, young and, you know, wanting to live life to the max. But then um, they also make this pivot and they go, I want to buy a home, right? There was that mentality shift, right? Now I'm knuckling down and um, spending was a bit of an issue back then where banks would look at it, but not so much, you know, in 2023. Um, so that's not a huge issue generally. Um, hmm. Credit file, I'm, and I'm rambling on here, credit no, no, file no, can good. be an issue. Um, the... You know, we do a credit check straight away when we're doing a strategy. It's one of the first things we do as part of the process. Two reasons. One, we can find out if there's any issues. And uh, the second thing is we can find out what a bank would see from your credit file. Um, And if there are other debts that you haven't disclosed or what those limits are, we can find out all that information that really easy. Um, So sometimes people are surprised. They've got an issue with their credit. They, you know, miss them payments on a, I don't know, phone bill or they did a default or, or something and um or maybe they've just had a credit card they didn't pay on time they they didn't know that it damaged their credit file because they never used that credit card and then maybe the annual package fee rolled over and they had all these late payments and they moved addresses or something so mm. or even credit card like uh credit fraud so credit's a big thing that you definitely want to check out it's really easy to do that online um mm. and that's probably it that's probably covers most bases so we've got um like people with uh, OTE or like bonuses and commissions if they switch jobs or if they're just not earning those, like the bank yeah. will look at that. Um, people thinking that they need a 20% deposit when they may not. Um, then there's uh, obviously if you have a business, we've talked about this before as both of us being business owners, there are instances where you do need to wait one or two years, maybe more, I don't know, until your business is ship shape. So consider maybe if you can put that business off and, Get into the yep. property if that's your goal. Uh, things like uh, debts, hex, and credit cards, and loans, and then finally the credit file. There, just checking that yourself. Um, so you mentioned that the checking the the credit was part of your like your process that you go through, and I, I am really like privileged this because I'm both a client of Blask and yours, but also uh, we have a partnership now where people can apply to work with you and the team at Blask. Uh, just following the link in their podcast player. Um, so if you do like the, the idea of what Chris is talking about, you can go ahead and get started on the process and get some expert advice. Um, but having seen this up close, I know that there are a few distinct steps that people have to go through. Like People think that maybe once they approach the bank or approach the broker, it's done and dusted. But that's kind of like when the work begins mm. from from your side and indeed from people actually having to put in a little bit of effort to get through that process. So can you walk us through the major steps involved? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I think um, back in the day, it used to be two-page application forms and no verification. And um, oh, right. maybe the broker did have a lot of power. Um, and even the bank staff had a lot of power improving loans, which was based on character and, uh, you know, whether they liked you or not. Whether, but nowadays, it is responsible lending guidelines are really comprehensive. I mean, a lot of people talk about issues in our home loan lending market and things like that. Like those issues have washed through. These are um, a long time ago. For a long time, there's been um, very, uh, you know, comprehensive looking at your situation and verifying everything about your situation. So the first step is... Um, you know, I guess figuring out what your overall strategy, what you're trying to achieve. Like you didn't just go through a, um, a broking process and, and and until you sort of really kind of understood what you want to do. I think there's a there's a bit of a, um, a because ultimately that strategy needs to be tailored towards what you want to do. Um, let's say I'm buying a $300,000 property to, you know, do a renovation or, you know, want to stretch, you know, that the, the strategy would change. Um but ultimately, so once you've gone to a broker, and I would suggest going to a broker, obviously because I am one, but also also ultimately because 70% of loans now go through brokers. In the UK, it's 90%. Um, brokers have you know started at 2% back in the early 2000s, and now it's grown to 70 and every year it grows. There's a reason for that. It's because consumers trust brokers. They offer a great service. They offer a great variety of banks rather than you having to go bank to bank and checking policy or rate. Um, and also there's no fee generally attached to it. The, the, the brokers are, um, in, I guess, packaging your loan up, putting it on a silver platter, um, checking all the things, making sure it fits bank policy, 
guiding a client through the home loan process, educating a client, um, and then giving you as a customer to that bank that they then go make money on that home loan for 30 years, right, or for however long you stay. Um, so the, bo- the banks pay brokers for that introduction and also for all that work that they do in, in getting that customer loan approved. Um, and then ongoing, they pay uh, brokers as well. So you don't pay brokers direct, the banks pay them. Um, and then on all the banks pretty much pay brokers the same. So I would suggest absolutely going to a broker. We can talk about how to how to find the right broker. Yeah, um, that's probably a good thing to do actually before we get further into the process. Like how do you actually find one? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So there's 19,000 brokers. Um, you know, the MFAA do a six-monthly report. It's online. It's anyone can access. It's called the Intelligent Insights Report. Um, and in that report, you will see pretty quickly that there's a small subset of brokers. You know, there's the 80-20 rule, you know, the Pareto principle. But, you know, ultimately that really plays out in the broking market. So of 19,000 brokers, you know, 10, 20% of brokers are writing 80, 90% of the loans. And, you know, that's the type of brokers you want to work with. The reason is, it's not because I don't want all the other brokers to be successful and they're absolutely helping the broker story but you need brokers that are quite active in the market to really understand what bank policy is doing, what different banks are doing right now, because they need to have lodged loans over multiple lenders and, you know, have relationships with these banks to, you know, not just try their luck, you know, a bit of a mud on the wall approach that a lot of brokers unfortunately do do. Like, I'm just going to try it with this bank. If it doesn't work, we'll go somewhere else because they're, you know, playing around with your credit file. And so you do need a broker that's quite active, um, and, you know, has been around for a few years and um, everyone started at, you know, day zero, right? Day one. Um, mm. But as a consumer, you would say, look, I want to get someone who's experienced, right? And um, it's one of the challenges of starting a business in any industry. You've got to get that experience. And so a lot of those brokers do work under other brokers where they can get a lot of mentoring and, and then they start their own, which is a, a good step. So trying to get a broker with a good uh, run of experience. I mean, obviously friends and, you know, family referrals, about 40% of our clients come from, you know, referrals, right? So they've, um, you know, and that's definitely a good way. Um, You know, I would say trying to, I mean, we're an education focus. I've always valued content, right? I've been producing content on LinkedIn and podcasts and, um, you know, Mm. speaking at events and things like that. I do think a broker that focuses on education is wanted because, what you want from a broker experience is someone who's not going to validate or facilitate a loan. You want someone who's educating you on the process. Why are they using this bank? Why are they recommending this policy? Why are they structuring the loan this way? So not only are they educating you, but they're actually trying to give you advice. So if you call up a broker and they're just saying, what do you want to do? How much do you want to borrow? I can make it happen. It's not really a broker. You're just getting someone to facilitate and validate. So that's a good litmus test. Um, or if they start talking about products and rates, Like that should be the last part of the overall conversation. It should be focused on, you know, what are you really trying to achieve? You know, tell me about your family. Tell me about what your plan is. Why are you buying that type of property? What cash have you got? What do you do for work? What's your plans with work? Where are you going to live long term? Those type of questions are what a great broker should ask you. Not so much what's your deposit, what's your income. Mm. Um, So you might have to go through a few. There's nothing wrong with that as well. Um, you know, just being upfront and honest and, and you know, if it's not the right yeah. fit, then just calling a spade a spade and moving on to the next one. So um, you don't need to be locally based. I think that's one of the benefits of being a broker is that we've got clients in every state. We've got clients buying in every state. Um, you know, loans are sort of universal, I guess. Um, and then there's small tweaks in terms of um, mortgage documents, but ultimately a broker can lodge loans across the whole country. So, um, and broking does suit itself to lots of small conversations over phone, online. It's not like this big presentation for three hours that it's like lots of small conversations. So rather than seeing a broker, you know, lots of times um, and all docs are digital now, all the banks have, you know, do digital docs. So you don't actually go to a broker's office to sign documents. That's just uh, thanks, thanks to COVID that all got wiped out in 2020. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, picking the right broker, education focus, asking you the right question, wants a long-term partner, has got a good reputation um, and um, their sort of style aligns with you. You know, you, you feel like you can connect and ask questions. I think, um, you know, you want to have that relationship or you feel like, you know, they're not just talking at you. You know, you can actually challenge their advice. You can ask questions and really, because that joining those dots is really important because these are huge decisions and, um, even if that person is giving you advice, you want to have the confidence to just talk it through with them. 
Mm. I um I went through a few brokers right before I ended up with you, and I probably should have just gone with you at the beginning uh, in hindsight, but that's okay. Uh, and I have that seen that experience play out with so many others uh, that I've come across, like so many people uh, with brokers, and like they'll give them a call and they say, "Hey, this is my situation, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But you're right; some brokers do just want to know what's your deposit, what's your income. And then, okay, I'll call you back. But they, a lot of them don't, to be honest, Chris, um, mm. in my experience and hearing others. And so I think like you can generally get a sense of a good broker straight away. And I've had a few experiences where, you know, you ask questions and sometimes they don't even want to give you, not that they don't want it, maybe they just don't have the time to just educate you on like, what does this thing mean? Mm. Um, so a broker who can actually be on your level and communicate with you, I think is so valuable because it is such an important thing. This is my personal opinion, Chris, like buying a home, if it's your first home, it's very important. If it's your next home, it's even just as important. And having someone, an expert in your corner, truly in your corner is really valuable. And um, back to the process. So yeah. when we when people come through and they submit information through to us and then it's ha- handed over to your team, we ask them very basic questions like, do you have any debt? Do you have this? Do you have that? Yeah. Um, so, pe- so should people be having those pieces of information ready when they approach the broker for the first time? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's a few things that you'd really want to know. So, you um, you really want to know about it. So, there's a few things you need to prove to a bank. I guess is the way to think about it. So you need to prove who you are. So, you really want to sort of make sure you got your uh, driver's license and your passport. If you haven't got one of those, maybe your birth certificate, Medicare card. Um, um, if you're overseas, you know, visas, visas are because visa classes really matter in terms of what banks will land on or not. So knowing what your visa class is and, you know, whether it's a bridging, et cetera. So proving who you are and your status, I guess, is really important. Proving what you own. So like, with, you know, where your savings are, like knowing, um, you know, ideally having it in one account, that's fine. You've got multiple banks. Um, uh, if you've got, you know, properties, having rates notices, um, et cetera. So you've got to prove what you own. Um, prove what you owe so you've you know you've got to have access to your your credit you know what debts you've got whether it's credit cards or car loans and um you know a lot of brokers have tools to get access to that you know that make it easier for you but yeah you've usually got to prove what you owe um and um yeah what what you've they're the main things i guess so what you owe and what you owe and who you are Mm -hmm. um not so much sort of on the spending doesn't matter as 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 much so yeah they're the things i mean i guess ultimately how your income sort of what you earn is probably the other thing. So how with pay slips, you know, if you don't, if you just get a PAYG and it's just a base salary. Um, that's easy, right? Because you can just send pay slips. But if you have been paid a bonus over the last couple of years, you sort of want to um, prove that through whether it's tax returns or on your pay slip. Um, usually in June each year, you can see the breakdown where it's like your income was X, but your bonus was Y. Um, so generally, you want a couple of years of that. If you're self-employed, you've got to prove what your financials are for the year. So you'd you'd really want in this scenario, you definitely need 2022s. But you know, it's the last week in 2023 right now, and you know, July is usually quite busy for us because a lot of the businesses that have done well this year come back to us and say, right, what can I do next year? Mm. Um, because most banks will lend on the last 12 months if it's a if it's a growing business, and we can sort of justify that. So yeah, they're the main things you, you sort mm. of want to be across. Um, so but rough numbers are okay at the start. Like it's, it's just sort of figuring it out. You don't have to have all these documents before you start a conversation. Okay. So then now typically a mortgage broker would take a phone call from you. Like you'd be calling them, uh, in our system, you book straight in, uh, with Calendly, you just book straight into yeah. uh, Giovanni's calendar, but maybe they have something like that on their website as well, where they would, um, like you would just go straight into the, the calendar and you'd, you'd rock up and you'd chat. Um, do that in that first initial chat, would you say it's good for, to have both if they're in, if I'm thinking of someone in a couple to have both of the people there, or is it not necessary for that first chat or it depends on the broker, to be honest. So some brokers try to jump to conclusions or jump to advice really fast. Um, when I was a financial advisor back in 2007, 28, uh, 2008, hmm. you know, one of my managers said, Chris, never assume, you know, you know, like. You can, and I, I sort of said, well, you know, you can sort of, because people have these generalizations, right? And it taught me a lesson in those first few years of advice is you could never assume anything and you had to ask the questions. And um, mm. so I would say, um, yeah, I, that's one of the things I think brokers, you know, can get better at, to be honest, because 
great advisors don't sort of cut to the chase. I, I sort of sit on the fence as an advisor to ask those questions. Would that make sense in that scenario? Oh, no, I need to ask that question. I need to check that. And you constantly are sort of forming this in your mind, um, you know, till you get to what the right thing to do is. So um, what I'm sort of saying here is that, you know, some brokers, you know, might want to just quickly say, right, you can borrow X after three or four questions um, and this is what your best bank is. And, and I just think they're the wrong brokers to go to. Um, so what we do is we do the opposite. We'll ask all the questions. We get all the facts and figures. We can figure out what you're trying to achieve. We figure out what you're going to achieve after this decision. That's a key thing. Um, then we get all your documents and then we check that through, you know, quite comprehensively. We'll do a credit file. We'll check your pay slips because usually they, sometimes those things don't match up what you think you earn, whether it's super or without super. Um, what you think you got in savings isn't what you've got. You know, it's a little bit less. Um, and so we'll go through and double check everything and then complete a comprehensive strategy. That Then we also go and check bank policy. So we'll run it through bank calculators. We'll check, you know what? You can't use that bank. You need to use this bank for this reason. Or you might have access to a, a policy benefit like no other might, this lender, et cetera. So, um, and then we figure out what your repayments would be and what your deposit and how you'd structure it. So we slow it down. We don't want to. Um, and then when you get, so you could, on that first call, you might not need your partner. Absolutely. It's always a great option. Um, but the next call, I guess, in our process is actually with me or it's with our loan strategist if you want to talk around the loan. Um, and absolutely your partner should be in that call because that's where you're making the big decisions, you know. Like we're trying to buy our first home, you know, should we spend 800 or should we spend 900 or, you know, should we buy in this suburb or that suburb or should we buy an apartment or a house or, mm. you know, uh, should we borrow at 90% or 88% or should we stretch to 80%? So these are big decision and educational sort of discussions um, and, uh, or we know we're thinking about doing around how are we going to do that? Is that realistic? Well, we're going to upgrade in five years. And so mm. absolutely it's, you know, 100% getting your partner on board and, and having those conversations and, and then going away after a call and discussing them together and then coming back with questions and maybe doing another call. Sometimes we'll do, you know, three, four, five, six calls over the journey because they're huge decisions and there's always things sometimes changing in people's situation. And you can quickly see, I feel like you can quickly see, like I used to be quite like independent and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go direct to the bank and get a loan from the bank. And then, but then you hear conversations like this and you think, oh, well, I miss out on a lot by just going and accepting whatever the person at the bank tells me or the app tells me. Like there's so much more to it. Like the strategy behind it, if you get a good broker, it's just chalk and cheese in my opinion because they will give you that and they'll take the time and they'll respect that this is the biggest decision you've probably made in your financial life so far um, and just so important. So the next mm. part of like you – so you someone's you know, books in the calendar, sends you, you know, whatever, an email, gives you a call, whatever. They You go, you sit down, you do that kind of initial brief. They send you the information. You have that – you go away, your team goes away and does what you call the strategy, yep. which is where you get the – because I was confused about this. You guys get the, the documents and then you decide which banks would be the best for this client. Yeah. Uh, and then you might present two or three of them or – Yeah, for sure something like that, then you have that big meeting with them. They make the decisions in their own time or in the discussion with you. Then what happens? So what happens from that point on? Yes, absolutely. So you go through the strategy with a loan strategist, also with me, and we talk through the right options. And, and to be honest, loans are quite subjective, right? And let's say this is a purchase, right? There's two different options. There's people buying things, whether it's their first mm. or next time or an investment. And then there's people just looking to get a better deal on their mortgage. So We'll talk about this in the mindset, you know, uh, as someone purchasing. So I think that's a bit interesting. Refinancing is a, is a bit simpler, which we can finish on. So in that scenario, we would say, right, let's get pre-approved with NAB, Macquarie, you know, Bank of Melbourne, St. George, um, you know, et cetera, right? Um, and we're getting approved there because it's the right policy fit for their situation. You know, maybe they're going to look at their situation the best. Um, maybe it's they've got really quick turnaround times. You know, for example, you try to go to St. George right now, we do quite a lot of loans with them. It's really chaos. It's a long turnaround time. But when you go to someone like Macquarie, it could be done in 24 hours. Um, so, yeah, great policy fit. And then also rate obviously matters as well. You know, to be honest, most banks are always competing very fiercely for business. And so there's usually a number of lenders which are in five basis points different. Um, so we pick your bank. 
Um, and the good thing with pre-approvals is all it is is uh, one bank willing to lend you that money. There's zero obligation on you as a purchaser, A, to you ever borrow that money, but even if you do purchase, even use that bank. So what, but you want to, you don't want to waste, you know, the bank's time lodging a loan with someone for a pre-approval if you're never going to use them because it's just a waste. You're actually better off getting a bank who's a good chance of being a good fit. Um, mm. So let's say you decide in this scenario it was Macquarie, right? Um, and uh, what our team would do or a broker's team would do would go away and produce some compliance documents like a credit proposal guide. Um, you would have already got a credit guide, which is documents through the broker's license through how they're paid, um, complaints, privacy, all those sort of things. Um, so the credit proposal document, they'll also produce application forms for the banks. You know, they're all kind of digital and, um, you know, digital sign and things like that nowadays. Um, um, and they'll get those documents You'll sign those and then the, the broker will actually use their technology or the, the brokers are licensed through, you know, a number of what's called aggregators who then all have their own individual softwares in their CRMs. Um, and then that software interlinks, you know, straight into the bank software, right? Um, and so the broker will lodge the application online, make sure everything's right. This is a key part they do is they actually put amazing notes. Well, they should do. So when they, because when you're preparing a file, you might take, maybe 10 hours, maybe, maybe, you know, on, on producing that up to this stage with a client doing research, et cetera. Um, and a key thing there is spending the time to really clearly say to the credit assessor, Hey, you should approve this deal because it's a great customer. This is what they're earning. This is what they're trying to achieve. This is one of the risks that we've got around because of this reason. Um, and so the, the broker will put in some really detailed notes there. They'll upload all your documents. That'll go into the queue with the bank. Now, depending on how many loans that broker does with the bank, how loved they are, they may have um, access yeah. to a preferential stream. So, you know, if a broker doesn't lodge many loans with the, that bank, they may just be in the pool with every other punter. Um, but sometimes brokers do absolutely get preferential. So you might get a bit quicker turnaround time. Um, you might get better credit assessors as well sometimes with that broker because they've got a relationship. Um, but ultimately, at some point, it could be one hour, one, you know, it's where some banks are uh, fast turnaround times, or it wow. could actually be up to a couple of weeks. And in COVID, it blew out to sometimes over a month at, um, at places. So, you know, after that period, a bank assessor will look at your file. Um, now, there's something called one touch approvals in broker land that is when a credit assessor looks at the file, looks at the notes, looks at the documents, you've satisfied every single condition for this bank, and they just touch approval. And that is a dream outcome. It's it's what every wow. broker is trying to achieve. It's really hard sometimes to achieve with every client because they sometimes ask silly questions, the, the assessors, <laughs> or brokers have actually missed something. Um, they didn't upload a document they needed. They didn't, you know, sign this document, et cetera. Um, so they, they come back with what you call missing um, inquiry, uh, things that the broker hasn't sent. There's usually this back and forth, but this is not something you deal with as a client. The broker may come to you and say, hey, the, the bank asked for a payslip from June 2021 to prove your other bonus. We didn't do that. They just want that to be extra sure. So the broker would ask you for a few missing documents. They try to limit that. You know, that's something a skill of a broker does. And then they go into bat for you with the credit assessor. Credit assessor say, I'm not like, like this about the situation. Can you explain to me? There's this tennis match that sometimes goes on. And then finally, the credit assessor says approve. Depending on the complexity of the loan, it may go through the easy channel. You might, they might have straight approval or they might have to go to a higher level approval because it might be either a larger loan, more complex, an exception on the file, like it might be one-year bonus rather than two years. Um, and that's usually someone – usually if it gets to that For stage, sure. it's going to get approved because the person approving it doesn't want to get told off by their boss that they missed something. So that's usually just – but sometimes that slows down the process. Finally, you get something called conditional approval. Now, the process I'm talking about here is actually a full, full humanly assessed pre-approval. It's not what you call a, uh, an algorithm computer-based pre-approval, which are becoming prolific in the broking uh, in the banking industry. More and more banks want to do those because they're automated, no cost, versus humans looking at them and spending hours of banks' money um, looking at it. So. We always try to use banks that are using humanly assessed pre-approvals to give you know our you know purchasers complete confidence that nothing's going to go wrong. Sometimes we have to use the computer ones, but we obviously make you aware. So you get this conditional approval, um, 
And what it's usually, people worry about a conditional approval. Generally speaking, that pre-approval will last for 90 days, um, sometimes up to 180. But what um, that pre-approval gives you confidence to do is go out to purchase knowing that if you do buy, a bank will lend you a certain amount. So that might be a pre-approval to borrow 800000 um, So you know that if you did purchase in that 90 days that Macquarie or NAB or whoever that bank might be um, is going to lend you that money based on that pre-approval, assuming your situation stays the same. Mm. Because if you lose your job, the banks will check that, right? Um, if you spend all your cash, that changes things. Or you take on these other debts, that changes things, right? They'll do a credit check on you. So... Assuming your situation is the same or better, um, the bank will approve that money. So, um, yeah, that's where you get to the conditional approval stage. Okay, so conditional approval means you can go out and you can make offers on properties. I mean, you can do that without approval. It's just very risky, right? So, <laughs> um, so this gives people the confidence. Sometimes, maybe I'm, I'm guessing most times, they might still say subject to finance, but I have approval or pre-approval or something like this. Um, and so it gives people this sense roughly speaking, like if we take an average, Chris, mm. you say sometimes it can be super quick, sometimes it can take longer. If you just take the average of a client that you've dealt with over the past year, just imagine the, the average of all of them say, but roughly how long does the process take from contacting the broker to pre-approval? Look, I think there's sometimes urgency, right? Someone wants to buy a property on the weekend and they want pre-approval within a week. We could probably do it, right? Ultimately, I think you're leaving it too late. You've already looked at properties before you pre-approved. But if you go and see a broker, by the time you speak to them, by the time you get all your documents, by the time you do their strategy, by the time I do application form, I would allow one to two weeks for that period. Um, yep. And then, you know, one to two weeks to get it through the banks. Um, you know, and if and sometimes if it's, if it's a quirky policy that you have to have and you have to pick one bank and they're slow right now, it could take longer. But it's not months. It's, you know, and if you had to do it within a week, you probably could. Um, you know, and we could figure that out, but ultimately allow yourself two to four weeks. Okay. Okay. Um, give or take, give or take, of course. Yeah. Okay. So would that vary if it was say something like a construction loan or a renovation loan or something like that? Does it get a bit more com complicated and whatever? Uh, it's a good question. Absolutely. So, you know, refinances or you've actually got a purchase, they go through the banks a lot faster. Um, because they're actual deals that are going to go through versus pre-approvals that, you know, if the bank's busy, they'll go, well, let's just do these. This is money on the table. This is people who may buy in the future. And so, um, yeah, if you're self-employed, you know, it's, it's a different level of quality credit assessor, right? You don't just get your first day in the bank and go, you're a credit assessor and bang, here's all the hard stuff, right? <laughs> banks generally, um, credit assessors are massively under-resourced across all the banks, um, they all uh, eat each other's predecessors and um, they're constantly moving bank and, and things like that. So, yeah, self-employed or, you know, something a bit quirky with your situation, yeah, you will expect a little bit of a slower queue often. Yeah, because I just know a lot of the RAS community um, have multiple properties or have development potential with some of their properties that they currently hold and they want to do that. Like they want to develop and they need loans for millions of dollars as well not just, you yeah. know, the first home. So do you deal with those as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, our average is quite high and that means that, um, one, we do, um, A, a lot of more higher income clients, but B, we also do quite big portfolio investors So, uh, and a lot at the top end as well, um, you know. So we, we've, we, we are uh, very experienced in the bigger loans and the bigger property investors and um, all the way through to your first home buyers and, and how to, you know, get the best results. So... Um, mm. On the residential space, we don't we really focus on that the property decisions people are making around their life, and um, sometimes it goes into the commercial field, and um, that's a whole other ball game. Um, and whether it's um, whether some some commercials are really basic, it's just a refinance, and um, we're more than willing to do that. But once it gets really down the the complexity in the commercial, we've got a number of partners uh, and other brokers that we we will pass that client on to who all day every day know how to get that client that result in the commercial space and know that because commercial there's a lot of lending that goes through the non-banks so yeah. it's people that it's not the big retail banks you see on the street it's private funding it's private funds etc and um no and there's hundreds of those it's um it's a whole mm. other ball game okay so i've got one final question which is the final stage of the financing process which is is you know i've got my pre-approval I've even yeah. made an offer on a house and it's been approved. My settlement is in 30 days. What happens yeah. on settlement day? Like I've got the loan. 
Do yeah. I need to do anything? Do I need to go to the bank? Like, what what happens here? So he probably missed a few steps there, on, but that's okay. We'll, 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 um, go, go, go. We'll, we'll fit him in, right? Okay. So once you've got this pre-approval, you, depending on the state and depending on how you purchase under, right? So mm-hmm. you finally sign this contract. You may or may not have a cooling off. And yeah, maybe it's 30-day settlement. Maybe it's 60 days. Maybe it's 42, right? So the key thing here is though, is going back to your broker straight away and making sure, are you going to go ahead with the bank that you pre-approved through? through and you might say no actually there's a better deal right now i'm going to go fixed i'm going to do it this way and let's go lodge right. an application so first thing is just deciding on the lender then what it's really easy then because you've got if it's the lender you pre-approved through the bank doesn't go through your full situation again what they'll first do is order evaluation on the property now 99.9 percent of the time if you're buying an established property um and you're pa- acting normally, then you, you should be fine with evaluation. There are issues there, which we can do a whole episode on. If you're going down the off-the-plan sector, if yeah. you're, you know, there's other reasons, right? But let's they'll do a bank valuation, which will come back usually at contract price. It won't come back more. It, most likely, 99% of the time, will come, won't come back less. No matter what the valuer thinks it's worth, they'll just value what you paid. Then they'll sometimes check your pay slips. Um, so, so just send us your latest pay slip. We haven't checked. Just want to check you're still working, to be honest. Um, sure. they, they sign that off. Then it goes to something called formal approval. Then depending on how the banks are with tech, some are really good, some are not, it'll then issue loan documents that hopefully will be on DocuSign. So you get these emailed loan documents. You'll go through those. And a lot of the banks, are, the governments have also made the mortgage form, which is a like a registered sort of stamped um, mortgage on your, your property um, through the state revenue offices. Um, they'll all be digital as well. So you'll sign those with your partner. Um, you can go through it. You can check all your offset accounts, all those sort of things. Um, then their bank will check those documents, which are pretty easy, pretty hard to stuff up right now because it's all digital. Like you don't have to fill in things like you did in the past. The bank will certify those documents, check everything's right. You also sometimes at this point have to send them a certificate of currency for insurance. So let's say you, you buy an apartment, that's not an issue like Strata. But if you buy a house, you then have to make sure the bank knows that you've got insurance. So, you, so this is you just know, like home insurance you get from like building, yeah, RACQ, RSV, NRMA, whatever. Allianz, Allianz yeah, yeah, exactly whatever. right. So it might be the the you bought it for a million, but the replaceable value on the home is five hundred. The bank would say, and the valuation would sometimes that's what they'll reference it to. Um, okay, but you have to send this certificate of comf- uh, currency. And then the bank will do uh, check those docs, certify those docs, and then be ready to book in settlement, right? At the same time along a home loan process, what you're also sorting out is the legal process. So you're sorting out the settlement with a solicitor and they're helping you sign forms that are around titles and um, adjustments to the council rates and the water rates that they're paid and things like that. Yeah. And then at settlement date, you know, pretty much all the banks now um, allow you to put all your money in an offset account against the home loan. Um rather than transferring your money to the solicitor. So they might say your shortfall is $100,000. Um, and a couple of days before settlement, you make sure that your $100,000 is in that offset account and your loan certified, your settlement's been booked. It'd be most likely digital anyway. It won't be people rocking up to a, uh, an office in the city. Um, and uh, it's on a platform maybe like, which is called PEXA, which is a big platform. Um, and on that day, you don't actually do anything, right? It's just two solicitors, two conveyances talking to each other, also the banks there as well um, on the platform and the title swap steeds and um, they debit the shortfall. So let's say the shortfall was 100000 That goes to pay the stamp duty. It goes to pay what the other vendors owed. It goes to pay all these adjustments. Um, and you'll have a couple hundred a couple of thousand dollars left in your offset account. And then a few hours later, the you should be able to collect the keys from the real estate agent. That's ultimately what should happen if if a broker's doing a good job we've never missed a settlement i think there was one which wasn't actually our fault right besides where an issue can come for buyers is vendors don't get themselves ready um so the vendor also has to get ready for settlement they have to discharge their home loan they have to do things it's the property they have to get all their stuff out there's there's things that 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 can delay settlement but generally speaking the day of settlement you should get the keys assuming the vendor is ready to roll Okay, so I'm going to try and paraphrase some of what you said and tell me if I get it wrong. So I've, I've gone through this process. I've got pre-approval. I've found the property, put it in an offer, bring my broker straight away, and I say, I've got the offer. I'm happy to go with the, the loan that you suggested uh, on a variable or fixed rate or whatever you put together. Um, and you're like, okay, great. You let the bank know. The bank comes back and says, hey, Owen, I need two more bank slips, uh, pay slips. I want a certificate of currency 
and I'll start putting together the legal documents, et cetera. I go to Amy or to whoever, insert name of insurer, I get the home insurance according to the valuation, which is being done at the same time as well by the bank. Yep. Um, the bank has its valuation, which it keeps, and maybe you could request it, but maybe yep. the bank keeps yeah, it. Yeah, yep. um, And then my certificate of insurance has to basically cover what the replaceable cost of that house is. Yeah. In the background, once all that's sorted, it's gone formal. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's gone formal. It's going ahead. Settlement day is fast approaching. On the day, uh, I, as the buyer, will need to make sure that I've got the money ready to put in that offset account that they yep. set up for me. Yeah. You will say, okay, it looks like everything's going to go ahead on Friday. Um, make sure you've got the, the money in there. Make sure you're ready to go. You don't need to be there, but you will need to go to the real estate agent that afternoon if things go to plan, which they should. Yeah. And then behind the scenes, your lawyer and the vendor or the owner, current owner's lawyer get together in the background with the bank, make sure all the P's and Q's are done. Uh, and then happy days, the settlement transfers via PEXA, the platform yeah. that basically yeah. controls all property in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the next day, the day after the settlement, you got a big loan. Uh, you got to start repaying. You got to start being sensible. You get excited about the house and the rest of your life begins. Yeah, exactly. And usually about a month after the first different banks, different things, but usually a month after you settle is when the first repayment is. A lot Some banks do the 15th, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so you've got a month to sort of get ready for that. So you check your offset accounts, 100% linked. You know, a good broker will just double check that. Banks make mistakes on that all the time. Um, you really understand, know what your first repayment's going to be. So then you try to make sure that money's in the offset account for the first repayment. You set up your digital banking. You know, you start to maybe set up auto transfers and things like that. That you have if it's you know or direct debits, etc. So that's really the finance process. Now, after that though, that's probably good for six to twelve months. But after mm -hmm. that, then you got to go back to the drawing board and start shopping. So you might stay at the current bank, but you might usually have to, because the loyalty tax is so big, you might have to ask for a better deal. You might have to go back to your broker, do a reval, you know, get a better rate, you know, et cetera. But that's the purchase process. For refinances, it just sort of skips that pre-approval stage. You know, they get formal approval, docs get issued. But the key thing with this is that you get formal approval, you sign the loan docs. But what you also have to do is ask for a discharge request from your current lender. Um, some banks make it easy. They just give you the form online. Some banks mean you've got to call up um, and that, then you'll get the retention team of that bank throwing the kitchen sink at you and um, saying, we did love you. We're sorry we didn't look after you, but we still love you. And would you stay if we give you a better <laughs> rate? Um, uh, and yeah, and then you lodge a discharge and usually, you know, one to three weeks after that, your refinance will go through. Um, so that's kind of the refinance process, unless you're considering something called fast refi, which is um, definitely something just speeds up that process. Yep. Well, um, I was uh, I was happy um, that that you guys did this for us um, because uh, you realised that if we could refinance, blah blah blah, go through that whole process, or we could just negotiate a better rate with the existing bank, um, and that was pretty good because that kind of came through and saved us some money anyway, um, without having to do a lot of their refinancing process, which is really cool. Yeah, and that, that that's again uh, a benefit of a broker. I feel like I'm pretty one sided with the whole broker debate, yeah. but I've def I've definitely swung in favour of the broker debate. To be honest, uh, from being very kind of anti it a few years ago, like five years ago, um, having been through the process myself, having seen how um, I don't want to say, but how murky some of the advice you can receive in property can be. Like to get someone that you trust on your side is actually a huge advantage. So not just in the beginning, but also ongoing. And it's such a big financial decision. Um, I've, I have to make the remark, like the amount of regulation that we need to do on the finance, on the stock market side for $500 of ETFs um, versus like a million dollar property for some folks. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just get the, get the right help, get the trusted help. Yeah. And I think what you really want is that like what brokers are, are doing is they're all generally small business owners, right? Uh, mm. It's moved away from you know, big institutional ownership and all that sort of stuff. They might sometimes be franchised under an Aussie home loans or something, but generally speaking there, and even if they are working within a business, they're sort of building their own reputation. And so what you ultimately get with a broker is a long-term relationship, not just for this decision, but the next decision, like time ticks by, right? And yeah. you've got your house, now I want to do a reno. Oh, it's not the right place. We want to move to Melbourne or um, mm. we're going to sell and we're going to, how do we do that? And and then, you know, the broker's still there. You know, their experience is getting better, their team and all that sort of stuff. Um, And you're right, around the refinancing, 
ultimately the best broking businesses don't just try to you know, refinance all their customers every year because their business doesn't grow. They just create work. Yeah, they create income, but they don't grow their business. And um, and so, yeah, absolutely. If we can just get you the best rate and you're happy with that lender and it's close to what's best in market, we just say stay or we recommend switch. So we do a stay or switch email um, mm. every six months to our clients. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what we do. Well, mate, you've taken us through everything. So... Um, from beginning to end, we had a kind of focus on people that are buying properties um, and more first-time buyers, but this applies for upgraders as well, renovators, uh, anyone get in contact with an expert. I think like when we we do a survey of people when they come through podcasts and they ask questions or when they onboard as members or students or anything, and um, it's very common that people have a trusted accountant and mortgage broker. Mm. It's not as common that they have a financial advisor in that mix. We'd love that to be the case, but because it's so expensive, a lot of them don't. Um, but having those experts on your side is, is a huge advantage. So um, like go and follow the steps that Chris has laid out. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. Mate, I really do appreciate you joining me on this Friday Arvo to talk about the financing process and um, loving what you're doing at Blast. Congrats on making the top 10. I'm looking forward to the final results because um, yeah. I'm in your corner. So, mate, yeah, just really appreciate it. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Owen. And have a great weekend, mate. Cheers. Thanks for the chat. Cheers, you too. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.